even though I didn't know I was preaching just yet. And so when pastor called me and asked me if I would be able to go on Sunday, I was absolutely ready. And this message has been settled in my spirit since then. Praise God. And we're going to read from verses 1 through 3. And then we're going to skip down to verse number 11. And the Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month, they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. Skipping down to verse number 11. And thus shall ye eat it, with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. And I want to focus on one portion of that verse today. Your shoes on your feet. Your shoes on your feet. Praise God. If you put your Bibles down and pray with me, we want to ask that the Lord move in this service continue to move in this service. God, we want to thank you, Lord Jesus, for all that you're doing. God, we're asking for your anointing and your blessing in this service. We're praying, God, that you would touch your people. Lord God, we want the gifts of the Spirit to be in operation this morning. We're praying that you would use us, touch us, God. Hallelujah. Anoint me from the crown of my head to the soles of my feet. Anoint these lips, Lord God. Speak through me in the name of Jesus. And God, we want to thank you for everything that you're doing. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, we thank you. Praise God. You can be seated. Praise God. On September 19, 1991, the body of a man was found by two hikers in the Otstel Alps between the border of Austria and Italy. He was found at an elevation of 10,530 feet. When the two hikers first stumbled upon the body, they thought they had found a mountaineer who had succumbed to the harsh elements. He was found laying face down, and after some investigation, it is believed that the man was murdered. Soon after his remains were found, it was apparent that this was no modern mountaineer, and that the hikers had stumbled upon a great discovery. An autopsy and study on the bodily remains began, and soon it was concluded that these remains represented the oldest natural mummy ever found in Europe. It is believed that the man died during the Copper Age, having lived between 3400 and 3100 BC. The man has been given the name Owetsi the Iceman, after the mountain range that he was found. His mummified body has given researchers precious insight into the lives of Europeans during the Copper Age. Oetzi was five foot three inches tall and weighed a mere 110 pounds. Evidence of parasites were found in his stomach, and the man had been very sick and had recovered in the months leading up to his death. The mystery as to why the man was killed will likely never be solved. But scientists have been able to extract very meaningful information from Oetzi's many possessions. When found in 1991, Oetzi still had with him a copper axe, a knife, 14 arrows, an unfinished bow, and a couple of unidentified tools. 
In addition, his heavily tattooed body was found with environmentally specific clothing. He had a bearskin cap, a loincloth under his leggings, a cloak, a coat, and shoes, all of which were made from leather of various animal skins. A particular point of interest has been Oetzi's shoes. The shoes were constructed with bearskin soles, deer hide uppers, and a netting made of tree bark. Inside the shoes was soft grass that acted like socks. The shoes had very little stitching, which allowed the shoes to be waterproof. They were also very wide, likely to help with walking through snow and ice. One researcher, Peter Lavashek, said, because the shoes are actually quite complex, I'm convinced that even 5,300 years ago, people had the equivalent of a cobbler who made shoes for other people. The shoes were like going barefoot, only better. Praise God. And with the help of the Lord, I want to preach to you on this topic today. Comfortable as an old shoe. Comfortable as an old shoe, which is an old saying meaning pleasant, relaxed, and not stiff. In our text, the instruction for the first Passover and all those to follow are being given to the Israelites. In verse number 11, they are instructed to eat with haste and with their loins girded, staff in their hand, and with shoes on their feet. On the surface, the explanation for this is very simple, and it was because it was common for people uh, in that part of the world during this period of time to eat very leisurely. They would lay back on the ground and have their shoes off to not dirty the rug or area in which they were eating. So God told them this because he wanted them to be ready to leave Egypt and carry out his command in order to go into the wilderness and sacrifice unto him. This is completely understandable because according to Numbers 33, Passover, which was consumed in the evening into the early morning, was the Hebrews last night in Egypt, and they had their shoes on and started journeying immediately following Passover. This seems straightforward enough, but to understand the depth of what was being instructed regarding their shoes, we have to understand the miracle that God performed with their shoes. Without even counting the ten plagues where God wrought miracles by Moses and Aaron, the children of Israel had no shortage of fresh and brand new miracles from the time they reached the Red Sea to the time Joshua led them into the Promised Land. In Exodus chapter number 13 and verse number 21, God led them in the wilderness with a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. God is both your shelter when the heat gets turned up and he's your light in darkness. He'll be a lamp under your feet and a light unto your path. Hallelujah. The name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous runneth into it and they're safe. He'll be your shelter. He'll be your light. Hallelujah. In Exodus chapter number 15, verse number 23, God healed the water at Marah when the only water to drink was bitter. God told Moses to put a tree in it, and it miraculously produced sweet water. No matter how bitter the circumstance is, when we look to Calvary's tree, everything just becomes a little sweeter. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity, and the chastisement of 
our peace was upon him. Hallelujah. Can we give the Lord a hand clap of praise? In Exodus chapter number 16 and verse 4 through 35, God delivers bread from heaven, manna. Every day the people were miraculously given enough to eat. Hallelujah. Regardless of how bad of a day we may have, tomorrow is a brand new day of mercies. And God has fresh bread for his people. Our job is to go out and collect. Hallelujah. In Exodus chapter number 7, verses 1 through 7, God God miraculously uses Moses to produce water from a rock in the middle of the desert. Hallelujah. And that rock is representative of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And he is still providing living water for all those who thirst. John 7 and 38. Jesus said, he that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of their bellies will flow rivers of living water. Is there anybody in the house? that's thankful for the Holy Ghost. I'm thankful that I'm a tongue talker, that my life has been changed by the power of God. These are just some of the unique miracles that the people witnessed in the wilderness. They all had not been performed before. They all set brand new precedents with each and every miracle that God was able to do something different, something new, something they had never seen before when the, when the need arose. It really doesn't matter what we're facing in our lives. God is well able to do exceeding abundance above all that we could ask or think according to the power that's working within us hallelujah praise God when God told the people how to prepare for the first Passover he specifically told them to put their shoes on and based on Exodus 12 they finished the Passover meal and they left Egypt Immediately. And in Deuteronomy 29 and 5, the Lord says, And I have led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes are not waxen old upon you, and your shoes are not waxen old upon your feet. Which leads to the question since we know God is able, He can do something new. He can prov provide something different. Why did God preserve their shoes and not give them new ones? Why did he preserve their shoes? And why were they not given new ones? God gave them fresh manna. He gave them fresh or new water from various sources. And he was in no way lacking in providing for his people. But the shoes that Joshua, watch this, the shoes that Joshua and Caleb put on the night of the very first Passover in Egypt were the same exact shoes that Joshua and Caleb crossed the Red Sea, journeyed for 40 years in the wilderness, crossed the Jordan River, and walked into the promised land with. The same shoes. 
God did not rain down new shoes as he rained down fresh manna. He did not provide a new means to cover or protect their feet from the hot desert ground. Not that he couldn't have. He could have he done something that we can't even comprehend. He's able. Why did he decide to preserve their shoes rather than replace them? The answer can be found in Deuteronomy 25, verse 5 through 10, where the law regarding the death of a husband is recorded. When the man dies, his wife was to be offered to wed her late husband's brother. The reason being was to give opportunity to bear offspring that would carry her deceased husband's name. Not the brother's name, but the late husband's name. However, if the brother decided against this, he did not want to marry his sister-in-law. The wife was to come unto him in the presence of the elders. This was on public display. Witnesses, credible witnesses were there. And she was to loose his shoe from off of his foot and spit in his face. Harsh. Severe. The man was to be known from then on as him that hath his shoe loosed because he refused to build up his brother's house. It was profane. It was dishonorable. And so we see this in practice in the book of Ruth. Naomi's husband and her two sons died in Moab. And she returned back to Israel with Ruth. In Ruth chapter number 4 and verse number 7. Now this was the manner in former time in Israel. This was the common manner. This was the tradition. Concerning redeeming and concerning changing or purchasing, exchanging trading for to confirm all things a man plucked off his shoe and gave it to his neighbor and this was a testimony in Israel therefore the kinsman said unto Boaz buy it for thee so he drew off his shoe Boaz was the second closest kinsman or brother to Naomi's late husband therefore when Ruth and Naomi came to him he could not carry out Deuteronomy 25. He couldn't carry out the law until the closest, redeem, uh, the closest kinsman refused to redeem them. Once he refused it, he told Boaz to buy it. And he took off his shoe to show that he was handing over the rights of redemption. It was understood that to take off the shoe was to signify the putting off of the profane. In this case, the profane is that the nearest kinsman would not or could not redeem his brother by supporting his widow and building up his house by giving him an heir. 
a commonly referred to passage regarding the taking off of shoes is Exodus 3, where God tells Moses to take off his shoes because where he was standing was holy ground. And then again, God tells Joshua in Joshua 5 to loose his shoe from off his foot because he was standing on holy ground. They were being told to take off their shoes to symbolize that nothing profane stands in the presence of our holy God. Hallelujah. Philippians 2 and 9 says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. Hallelujah. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess. Hallelujah. Of things in heaven, of things in the earth, and things under the earth. And that every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hallelujah. There will be no flesh that glories in his presence. Nothing profane will stand in the presence of our holy and righteous God, which is why every knee will bow and it's why every tongue confesses. Praise God. This is also why the priests perform their duties in the tabernacle and temple shoeless. It's why synagogues, mosques, and early churches require and required people to take their shoes off before entering in. This is also why John the Baptist said that he was not worthy to loose the latchet of Jesus' shoe. He wasn't so much worthy enough to even just loosen the latchet. Forget taking it off. I can't touch the man's shoes. No matter how great of a prophet John the Baptist was in comparison to Jesus he was nothing but profane his righteousness was nothing but filthy rags it was pale in comparison unto the Lord Jesus Christ John did not have the authority the dominion the power nor the responsibility that Jesus had so he did not have the right to take off Jesus's shoes because John was not the kinsman redeemer but Jesus was hallelujah he came to restore humanity back to right standing. He came to redeem all of humanity once and for all. He paid the price one time with his own life and shed his own blood. Hallelujah. Are you glad that Jesus came for you? Are you glad that he redeemed you? Hallelujah. If you are, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Hallelujah. I'm thankful to be washed in his blood. I'm thankful to be bought with a price. Hallelujah. Praise God. In the word of God, feet carry great significance. We can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. The first messianic prophecy. God says he would place enmity between the serpent and the woman. And between her seed and the serpent's seed. And I don't want to get too off of topic here. This is not in my notes, but we don't believe that there's reptile people cruising around. There, there are doctrines of devils, the Bible says. And we need to be aware and careful of these things. Many of them are rooted in racial issues. Going all the way back to the Jews 
and rabbis where they really did think we are superior and everybody else is inferior. They were perpetuated in the Anglican church in England in order to justify the great atrocities of slavery. They've been perpetuated in the 1900s to help perpetuate Jim Crow laws and segregation in the church. And I feel the Holy Ghost right now, so I'm glad I, had, I went ahead and said, said it. But there is no room for racism. There is no room for segregation. There is no room for prejudice. Hallelujah. The church is not divided upon political lines. It's not divided upon age. It's not divided upon your ethnicity, your former tribe. But when we get in the church, we are of one nation. We are of one God. We are of one name. Hallelujah. And there is no room for any split. And I'm not saying we've got a problem here because we don't. I'm just preaching to the wind right now. We don't want that spirit coming around here. We don't want that attitude here. Everybody has a chance with Jesus. It doesn't matter how poor you are. It doesn't matter how rich you are. It doesn't matter how educated you are, how uneducated, how smart, how dumb you may think you are. It doesn't make a difference. God has died for our sins on the cross. God manifest in flesh, redeemed us. God has already done the work. And God. Praise God. Messiah will bruise the serpent's head, and the serpent will bruise Messiah's heel. The symbolism reveals that feet represent dominion in the word of God, which is why God told Abraham that he was to walk the length and the breadth of the land, because everywhere that he put his foot, he was taking dominion. And I just want to pause right here and talk to the church for a moment. Church, we are in a pivotal moment in the church's history. And right now, more than ever, it's time that the church elevates their eyes and begins to focus on Jesus as never before because we are soon to take dominion over cities and areas that we have not even been to yet. I'm telling you, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Hallelujah. It's already been prophesied. It's already been said hallelujah I'm just coming to remind the church we have got to take dominion we have got to go further we've got to elevate in Jesus in ancient times the victorious army would vanquish their enemy by putting their feet on the enemy and in Josh, uh, Joshua we see this Joshua, after entering into the promised land, told his men to take uh, the five kings that were out there and to place their feet on the necks of these Canaanite kings that they had just defeated, showing dominion over them and the land. It also sheds additional light into Psalm 110 and 1, where David wrote, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. God has 
completely desired for the people of God to have dominion over the enemies of God. Hallelujah. It references the fact that Jesus would conquer all and that the people of God through him would also have dominion. Dominion over what? Dominion over sin. Dominion over the flesh. Dominion over the serpent. Dominion over false doctrine. Dominion over false religion. Dominion over the haters. Dominion. Dominion. Praise God. The symbolizing of feet only gives greater significance to the importance of the gear which house, shield, and protect and stabilize the feet. Shoes in the word of God are representative of supreme power and specifically in relation to possession. And just in case you're wondering, that's not my definition. This is checked, rechecked, cross-checked. This is the definition of the symbolization, symbolism of shoes in the word of God. Feet equal dominion. Shoes, power, and possession. The connection between feet and shoes is this. Dominion is control over something. You can control and operate a piece of machinery, but possession is the ownership of it. You may control something, but it doesn't mean you own it. Praise God. It doesn't mean that you've got the property rights to it. It is difficult to maintain control of something that you do not own. And the only way to truly own something is to have the power to protect it. Praise God. And with our dominion church, what we need to begin to do is as we walk in dominion, we need to begin to take possession of things that have been taken from us. Possession of things that we want to de- and desire to see in the kingdom of God. We need to take possession over our lost loved ones. We need to take possession over our financial problems. We need to take possession over the things of God. The things that we desire to see God, in, God do in us and God do through us and God do in the church and God do in the East Bay and God do in Alameda and God we need to take possession when standing on uneven surfaces feet need added stability and need protection from the elements and terrain in order to journey long and journey hard. Therefore, dominion cannot be maintained with any kind of consistency or stability, nor can it offer any protection unless it is clothed in ownership and power. Dominion by itself cannot stand on its own for long, and it will literally lose its foothold and begin to fall. It has to guard its control with power. It has been said that the best defense is a good offense. Dominion will slip away from you unless you have a consistent flow from a power source. Proverbs 3 and 25 says, Be not afraid of sudden fear, neither of the desolation of the wicked when it cometh. It's going to come. For the Lord shall be thy confidence and shall keep thy foot from being taken. The Lord is the source of our power. 
He's the source of our strength. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. May I remind you that God has made you more than a conqueror. When you've received the baptism of his Spirit, when you have been baptized in his name, you've taken on the name of power. You've been filled with the Spirit of power. Hallelujah. And he will be your source. And he will be your strength. He will be your comfort. Hallelujah. Praise God. The reason why God preserved the shoes upon the feet of the Israelites was because they were journeying toward their possession. The reason why God preserved the shoes upon the feet of the Israelites was because they were journeying toward their possession. What do I mean? They had not yet received the possession and the promise that was given to them. And should they have taken off their shoes, according to the customs, the law, and the traditions of the day, they would have been symbolizing their forfeiture of the promised land. Despite their failures in the wilderness, God preserved the promise. Hallelujah. By preserving the shoes, the shoes that were on their feet, and ensuring that they would not discard the shoes along with their promise, God preserved that promise, and they were able to walk into the promised land and not only take dominion, but they were able to take possession and ownership of Canaan land. Hallelujah. It was God's plan for them to do so, and God helped them do it. Hallelujah. Ephesians 6 and 13 says, wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. We have to be sure-footed with our feet solidly planted on the ground, but they will need some help to stand. So verse 15 says, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Our feet need to be shod, which is King James English, for shoed with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Why do we need gospel shoes on our feet? Paul told the Romans in 1 and 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The gospel shoes are quite literally the power unto your possession, unto your eternal heritage, unto your heavenly promise. Hallelujah. Solomon wrote in Song of Solomon, How beautiful are your feet with shoes! How beautiful. He wants you geared up. He wants your gospel J's on. When God pulls us out of Egypt, he not only gives us a promise of dominion over sin, over the flesh, over addiction, but he clothes our feet in shoes of power. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ according to Paul, is the power of God unto salvation. And you have to apply it by dying to your sins and repentance, by being buried with him in baptism in Jesus' name. And you have to resurrect to the newness of life, having received the gift of the Holy Ghost, which is evidenced 
by speaking in other tongues. Hallelujah. There is no other evidence in the word of God outside of tongues. Praise God. Acts 2, 38. We know that they spoke in tongues. Acts 1, uh, Acts 2, 1 through 4. They all spoke with tongues from the upper room. Acts chapter number 8. They spoke with tongues. Acts chapter number 10. The reason why the Jews knew that these Gentiles had received the Holy Ghost. The Bible says because for they heard them speak with other tongues. Hallelujah. Acts chapter 19. The the disciples of John the Baptist had been baptized unto repentance and they had not received the Holy Ghost. And Paul asked them, have you received since you believed? Hey, we're not opposed to people believing that there is a God, but we're just here to tell you that there is a way that is more perfect and there is an opportunity for you to get a hold of something that will see you into your promise, that will see you into your eternal possession. Hallelujah. And it starts with the tongue. Hallelujah. Once you put those gospel shoes on, you cannot take them off lest you forfeit your possession. Now, when I say you cannot, you should not. It's ill-advised. It's against the word of God. You have the opportunity to go against what God has instructed us, to go against the word of God. There are churches all over the world that will tell you the gospel means something different. That the water that that John uh, wrote in John chapter number 3, when we were told to be born again of water and of spirit, that that water was the water of a mother's womb. That is not the case. And we know it's not the case. Because if you just read a little further, and we know we have no biblical precedent for anything else. Not one time do we see a mother's water break and somebody shout, born of the water. Not one time. But we see people going down in the water in Jesus' name. And we see them being filled with the Holy Ghost, speaking in other tongues. Just as God did not give the children of Israel new shoes in the wilderness. There is not a new gospel. There is no new message. From the time of the apostles until Jesus returns, there's only one saving message. Paul told the Galatians, but though we, he even included himself and the rest of the apostles, though we or an angel from heaven come preaching any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you. Let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than ye have received, let him be accursed. There is a cursing that comes from another gospel. We don't want to get anywhere near that. We want to adhere as closely as we humanly can to the word of God and by the help of the Holy Ghost to go beyond that. Praise God. 
And I just want to encourage somebody who's got pressure coming from all sides because of your decision to live for God and to to go after the right way, the only way that saves. I want to encourage you that it may not be that way always. There will be a day where you will see clear skies. There will be a day where the parents let off the pressure, where the family backs up, where the friends begin to see there is something different going on. I don't know what happened to them, but all I know is what they used to be is not what they are today. Hallelujah. Can I tell you the very first soul I ever won was one of my roommates in college. Hallelujah. He had been with me when I was drunk. He was there when I got a DUI. He was there when I had a hit and run. He was there when I was in the back of police cars. He was there when I was smoking dope. He was there when I was carousing with women. He was there. He saw me fight. He saw me treat people bad. But when I got the Holy Ghost, I'm telling you, the very first soul I won, the last time I had seen him, he and I got into a fight and I knocked him out and left him in a parking lot. Hallelujah. But I went back to him and I realized I am messed up and I need help. And it was that moment that I went and I started going to church and I started seeking God. If I'm capable of hurting my best friend, how much more am I capable of? And so I went to him and week after week and month after month, I kept going back. Mikey, you got to hear me. I'm sorry for what I did, but I'm telling you, there's a better way. Mikey, just listen to me. Mikey, hear me. I'm telling you, there was a way that I was and I am no more. And I'm telling you that there was several months that passed by and I got a phone call and he said, Brendan, I don't know what happened to you, but I've been watching you, and I know there's something different. And I said, Mikey, it ain't me, but it's God in me. Hallelujah. Can I tell you, he drove down from Turlock all the way down to L.A. to get baptized in Jesus' name. He received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I'm encouraging somebody. I'm telling you, when the pressure gets turned up, God has an answer. God has a response. This gospel still works. This Holy Ghost still works. Hallelujah. Praise God. There's only one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And that Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Hallelujah. He's Alpha. He's Omega. He's the beginning. He's the ending. The first, the last, the author, the finisher. There's only one. There's not another way. I got my gospel shoes on and I'm not taking them off. Praise God. We can all stand. The musicians can come. So what do we need to do as saints of God? We need to begin to walk in dominion. We need to understand what God has called us to. We need to begin to see through the eyes of God. Hallelujah. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. He's calling us to greater. He's calling us to higher. He's calling us to more. 
And we need to begin to be to take possession over these things that we begin to walk in. As God begins to lead us, God has prophetically spoken to the church that there is much, much more for us. And we need to begin to elevate it and address it by taking our prayer up. We need to get our eyes up. You know, the best way to deal with haters is just to look up. Let God block all this down here. I'm not worried about what's going on down here. I'm just looking up. I'm looking up because my redemption is drawing nigh. Praise God. And if you haven't received this gospel, today's a good day to receive it. Hallelujah. This is the truth for your soul. This is salvation for your soul. Hallelujah. Why don't we all lift our hands right now? And thank God for what he's doing here in the East Bay. Lord Jesus, we love you. God, we want to thank you for you moving in this place. For you dealing with us, oh God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, you're more than a conqueror. 